Welcome to Learn Buddhism. I'm Alan Pito. Buddhism has a lot of holidays, and if you're new to Buddhism, this can be really overwhelming. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about some of these holidays you might encounter, but more importantly, why we even have these holidays in the first place. So if we take a step back and look at why we have these holidays, we can really narrow it down to a few reasons. One of them is, most importantly, to get people together. So Buddhists and Buddhism is not meant to be practiced alone. You're supposed to be around, we've heard me talk about this before, Dharma friends, other people who are on this journey, this path with you, and to be around monastics, teachers as well. And holidays are a great way where this happens, where we are able to connect with these other Buddhists, other like-minded people who are on this journey towards awakening and enlightenment with you. And you're also around monastics who are there to help you understand and learn and practice as well. And then it also helps you create the right wholesome conditions. So whether this holiday is where you are now maybe engaging in eight precepts instead of five precepts, or maybe reading and chanting sutras, or going to the temple, you are doing things that are conducive to that path towards awakening. So when we look at these holidays, it's not something just done just to have a holiday. They are there and they have other meanings besides just being a holiday. So let's go into some of these different holidays and we'll talk about why we have a couple of them and what happens inside those particular holidays. Now, this will all vary greatly depending upon which branch of Buddhism you are following, Theravada or Mahayana, and even where your particular form of Buddhism is originating from. For example, there's Southeast Asian Buddhism, there's East Asian Buddhism, there's Central Asian Buddhism, and then there's country-specific and different cultural aspects. So holidays, which may span across maybe several different traditions of Buddhism, could also have cultural and country-specific aspects as well. So this will be a very high-level and general way to explain these different holidays. Now, some of these holidays are actually commemorating the different portions and different aspects of the Buddha's life because they are so important to us. They show us that, yes, we can become enlightened too, but also to give us faith and invigoration in our practice. So the very first one is Dharma Day or Dhamma Day. And this is typically celebrated on the first full moon in July. So moons or the lunar cycle is very important inside Buddhism. You're going to hear a lot about the lunar calendar. And essentially what this means is we're looking at the lunar calendar rather than typically the Western calendar as when these particular dates. For example, maybe Christmas is always December 25th. Well, it doesn't mean that most of these Buddhist holidays always fall on one specific day. They may, but they're typically following a lunar calendar. So on this very first holiday, this is typically practiced in Theravada. This is where we are commemorating the Buddha's first teaching at Deer Park. This is where he'd become enlightened and he set forth to teach. And the first people he run into are his five former companions. And they were skeptical of him. So this was the very first teaching where it convinced him that this is the truth, the Dharma, and became his first five disciples, monastics. So it's a very significant part 
of the Buddha's story because if he wasn't able to teach, he wouldn't be the Buddha and we wouldn't have this religion today. So this commemorates that. You're also going to be encountering a lot of New Year's celebrations. And maybe these aren't specifically Buddhist in nature, but what you find in a lot of Asian countries is you go to the temple. And so this is where you see a lot, maybe it's Chinese New Year or maybe Tet in Vietnam, where you see people going to temple to celebrate a portion of the New Year. So this is everything from what we call it a Buddhist New Year, maybe Mahayana New Year. You can have all these different types of New Year's that are celebrated, again, on the lunar cycle, where you're going to go to a temple. And this is a great way where the temple engages with the laity and the laity engages with the monastics in the temple as well. So you, you are going to temple, you are engaging, you are doing different activities and ceremonies, and it re-engages you with your temple as well and other practitioners. In Theravada, we also have this Enavasa ceremony, and this is really something that's celebrated in October. So in Theravada, they have this three-month retreat, this rainy season retreat, and at the end of it, laypersons can go and give to the monastics. And this is often where you hear called the robe offering ceremony, where they can get maybe, for example, some uh, new robes after this rainy season retreat. And this helps in two ways. One, it allows the laypersons to practice generosity, compassion, giving, and it allows the monastics to receive, to receive that kindness, that gift, and it engages the two communities together as they should be. In Mahayana, we have Guanyin. And so this is a very important bodhisattva for us. You may have also heard of this bodhisattva called Kanon in Japanese Buddhism. And this is one of the most important and popular bodhisattvas inside all of Mahayana and East Asian Buddhism. You may have also heard of this bodhisattva called Kanon in Japanese Buddhism. And the reason this bodhisattva is so important is because one, the bodhisattva is there to help all sentient beings through all the suffering we have. And there's many different ways Guan Yin helps sentient beings in that way. That's why you might, might have seen a statue of Guan Yin showing like a thousand different arms. That's Guan Yin. But more commonly, you're not going to see it that way. You might see it maybe holding a, a vessel. And these are different ways that this bodhisattva is shown. So it's not one way. And it could be a male or female, depending upon the era and different ways this bodhisattva is displayed. So what we do is going to be typically chanting, reciting Kuan Yin's name. And this is a very popular practice inside East Asian Buddhism. And we're going to celebrate Kuan Yin's support and help of sentient beings like you and me on our path towards awakening and enlightenment by doing things such as going to temple, burning incense, reflecting our own compassion in nature, but more commonly chanting and reciting Guan Yin's name. And of course, that can be done at temple, it could be done at home, but this is where we are focusing on this particular bodhisattva and Guan Yin's nature and compassion and support because we want to bring up those things in ourselves as well, but also show respect and reverence for this bodhisattva. 
Now, another one you might have heard about is going to be the Hungry Ghost Festival, and typically celebrated in August or September. And this comes, it may seem nothing Buddhist about it, but it actually comes from the Buddhist time. And so there was a monastic, a monk inside the Buddhist Sangha. And he was able to essentially this ability to see the different realms of rebirth. And he saw his mother suffering in the hungry ghost realm. And in the hungry ghost realm, it's not a place where we want to be reborn into because we can't be satisfied and you can't hear the Dharma. And so it's just a very miserable experience and many different visual explanations of this particular realm. For example, water won't work. You know, if maybe you're going to be hungry and try to eat, but your throat is so skinny, you can't really swallow. So these really very challenging existence is this hungry ghost realm. And so this monastic, this monk wanted to help his mother, wanted to show this kindness, compassion, and love for his mother. And so the Buddha understanding this really spurred, if you will, what we now have today in our modern world, which is Hungry Ghost Festival. So this is where offerings are put out. We are doing different celebrations, and it's really there to help these hungry ghosts find dharma and get out of that realm. And we're also doing it by helping monastics as well. So not only are we trying to maybe kind of help these ghosts out if they can hear and see these different things, which you can't always do, but maybe if they can, you know, hear the Dharma or maybe hear chanting. This is why sometimes you hear in Buddhism, there's lots of chanting going on. There's even little chanting machines and pre-recording so that maybe these hungry ghosts can hear that and hear the Dharma and get out of that realm, burn off that unwholesome karma. But as I mentioned, we're also focused on the living in the real world we're in right now by supporting monastics because monastics are focused on this path towards enlightenment like we are, but they're all in, but they're also there to help us. So they are helping us, preventing us from getting into that hungry ghost realm ourselves. Now, a favorite one for me is the Buddha's birthday. So I'm going to talk about Theravada and Mahayana in two different ways. This is the first part where you're going to see Mahayana breaks up the different parts of the Buddhist life into three different holidays. We got the Buddha's birthday, we got his enlightenment, and then we also have his final nirvana, parinirvana, his death. Whereas you see in Theravada, it's all into one holiday called Vesak. So in Mahayana, we have the Buddha's birthday. And at first, you know, maybe like a lot of these holidays as a Westerner, I'm like, why are we even doing some of these holidays? Some aspects didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And when I fully understood what we did on the Buddha's birthday, I love it. It's like one of the ones I look forward to. So what you'll typically see at a temple is going to be what looks like a little baby Buddha standing and pointing to the sky. And this goes back to the birth story of the Buddha, whether you believe it or not, where basically after birth, he was able to walk and point to the sky and, and everything and talk. And this is all very hard for us to contemplate, but it's very important for Buddhists because this is showing that he's just not an ordinary human being. This was a remarkable being who became the Buddha. And so what we're doing with this little Buddha statue, and you're going to see there's like a ladle and your people are pouring water over it. Well, 
what you're doing here, yes, we are celebrating the birth of our religious leader here, the Buddha, as he was Siddhartha Gautama when he was born then. Because without him, we wouldn't have Buddhism right now. We wouldn't have the Dharma, the truth. We wouldn't have this path that's laid out in front of us. We wouldn't be Buddhist because we wouldn't know about it. So this is a very important celebration. So when they are pouring this water, which is scented with flower petals, over this baby Buddha, we're not there to clean the baby Buddha. We're there to symbolically, as we do this pouring, purify our, our body, speech, and mind in accordance with the Buddha's path and teachings. And I like that. So we're basically washing away this symbolically, of course, washing away. But when we are doing it, it allows us to focus on the act, focus on the Buddha in front of us, focus on how remarkable it is to be in the human realm of rebirth, how remarkable it is and rare it is to actually have the Buddha's teachings, to have the Dharma. That doesn't always exist. So the remarkable feat we're seeing here is this is our teacher. And without him, we'd be still caught in delusion and ignorance and greed and hatred. Here, he's allowing us to break free from that, to see the truth, to achieve nirvana. So as we are pouring the ladle of water over the Buddha, and there's a whole ceremony as part of this, again, this is symbolically to purify our body, speech, and mind. And when you engage fully with this activity, not just go, oh, I'm just going to do this mindlessly. We're doing it mindfully. And we're doing it as a Buddhist practice. Visak. So this is what I just talked about. So in Theravada, and sometimes in other traditions, you're going to see where everything's kind of celebrated on one day. This is where we have the Buddha's birth, we have his enlightenment, and his Parinirvana, the final Nirvana, his death. And this is a very important celebration and holiday for Buddhists. And you can see where they're going to go to temple, just like you will see with other activities, where they're going to raise the Buddhist flag, they're going to be singing, reciting scripture, bringing offerings. Laypersons will even sometimes release animals and insects as a symbolic act of liberation. So they're doing many different things to celebrate our teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha, Gautama Buddha, but also to engage in Buddhist practice. And that's what you can do with all these holidays. But here, you have all of them combined. And so you're just going, let's do it. I need to, I am invigorated by the faith of the Buddhist path. I'm going to do these things on this day. And this is something that you're going to find widespread in Southeast Asian Buddhism. Now, back to Mahayana. So we had the Buddha's birthday, right? Now we have Bodhi Day. Now Bodhi Day is the day of enlightenment. So Bodhi is enlightenment in Buddhism. And so this is when Siddhartha Gautama became enlightened. Another remarkable event because just being born, yes, that was really important. And there's a whole story about the Buddha's birth and how he came to be and everything else. But here is where you see that line crossed because he may never have gotten to this point. This was a remarkable feat because this is where he went from Siddhartha Gautama, another human being just like you and me, to the Buddha, a remarkable being and extraordinary. And this is a truly pivotal aspect because 
we're talking about it right now. We have this Buddhist religion. So this is going to be celebrated on one of two days. So typically in the West and in some countries, you're going to see this on December 8th. And that becomes very popular because obviously in a lot of Western countries, there's a lot of Christianity uh, celebrations and Judaism. And so there's a lot that happens in December, for example, Christmas. So this aligns up very well for a lot of Westerners. But you also find it celebrated in January as well in a lot of countries. So it will just depend on, for example, your group organization temple when they're going to celebrate it. Or if you're just in a Western country and don't have one yet, December 8th might be a good spot for you. And just like we talked about before, this is going to be celebrated in a lot of ways. Now, the way it's celebrated traditionally, or I would say maybe in some traditions, you're going to see people that are working their way up to this day. So like, let's say the day or the night before, you're going to see meditation sessions. You're going to see people getting ready for this day because the Buddha was meditating for like 40 days. And so when he was meditating, that was quite an effort. And he battled Mara. He was trying to stop him from becoming the Buddha, right? And so just us doing maybe a couple of hours meditation session or focusing on chanting or reading sutras or whatever it might be, that's a short amount to ask if you really think about it as a Buddhist compared to what the Buddha did to bring us the teachings. Then you see a variety of different activities engaged. For example, a lot of people like to do very traditional meals, for example. Uh, milk rice was given to Siddhartha Gautama before he became the Buddha, before he started meditating to regain his strength, that middle path, that middle way. And so some people like to do that. You'll see in Western countries, people repurpose their Christmas trees into Bodhi trees, and they'll put multicolored lights in there for the different pathways towards enlightenment. So different things you can do. Now, we sometimes think about this as one day, but it actually goes on for quite a bit. You know, it just doesn't end on one day. It goes for several, several weeks inside, uh, quote unquote, Bodhi Day. It goes on for a little bit. So the celebration continues on more than one day. And then the final Mahayana holiday celebrating the Buddha is going to be Parinirvana or Nirvana Day. This is either celebrated on the 8th or 15th of February. And this is where the Buddha enters final nirvana, parinirvana. This is where he dies. His current existence ends in this physical manifested form that we see here on earth. And this was really important. And you're going to see this visualized as the quote-unquote reclining Buddha. This is where he was on that right before final nirvana, parinirvana. He was reclined there. He was sick and he was dying in this physical form. And so this is really important because we've lost the physical, the manifested in our world existence of the Buddha, but we haven't lost the different bodies of the Buddha. So, of course, we still have his teachings and everything else like that. We have his monastic community. So he continues on in many, many different ways. But, of course, we don't have a living physical Buddha in front of us right now. So different ways we celebrate or recognize this, typically meditation, supporting the monastics, even reciting the Nirvana Sutra that recounted the final days of the Buddha's life and other activities as well. So we're using these different holidays and events so that we can be engaged with the history of Buddhism, with the Buddha himself, because the Buddha is no longer physically in front of us. 
So we bring the Buddha into us with these holidays. We engage with his monastic community, the Sangha, by engaging with these holidays. We are advancing our understanding and our practice as we engage in these holidays. You're also going to see fasting days, or sometimes maybe called observance days. So fasting days, observance days can be one the same, more different. But essentially what we're going to have here is where you're going to have people who are fasting on particular days, typically on the lunar calendar, or and or observance days where fasting may occur as well, meditation, maybe they're going to be upholding the eight precepts instead of just the five precepts. And before you engage in any of this, Please find a temple, find monastics so you practice this correctly. But essentially is where you are going to be a little bit more engaged than you are in your everyday layperson life. Because as laypersons, we are consumed with a lot of different things in our lives. Whereas with these observance days or, and or fasting days, we can be more engaged with the Buddhist path and the Buddhist religion. So again, make sure you engage with a temple and monastics first and make sure that you're healthy enough to do things such as fasting. So get with a physician first. And then this would be a very popular activity. You also see where you're going to have maybe, for example, no meat. So it will be vegetarian meals. So a lot of different things happen here. You also see where those in Mahayana who have taken a bodhisattva precepts, they engage in longer fasting days. So there's a lot of different activities that can happen on these observance days. But they're there to help engage us a little bit more on these special days throughout the month as you engage. Now, you may start off with just one day a month, or you may start off maybe with every Friday or maybe like one day on every weekend. It's going to vary, so you don't necessarily have to always follow the lunar calendar, although I kind of like that because what happens is you're basically practicing with Buddhists around the world based upon the lunar calendar. So it gives you sort of a community feeling as well. So I just wanted to introduce you to a couple of the different Buddhist holidays out there so you understand what they are and sometimes how they're practiced. Again, I was given a very general explanation. So depending upon the country-specific Buddhism that you are following, your temple, your organization, is going to vary greatly. But the most important thing is engage with these holidays. They may seem a little unusual to you. You may not understand all of what's happening, but just engage. Like I gave you that example with the Buddha's birthday. I didn't really understand what that was about at first. It looked in my Western eyes as something else. But as soon as I understood what it meant and what we were doing, it became a loved part of my practice. So don't go in there sometimes with, oh, that's what this is. Go in there full heart with our faith inside the Buddhist religion and practice these holidays. Sometimes trying to figure everything out and know 100% isn't very conducive on the path, and that's been brought up quite a bit in Buddhism. These holidays are here to sort of grease the wheels for us and help us on our path towards enlightenment, help us transforming our unwholesome conduct to wholesome conduct. And these have been around for hundreds or thousands of years. So what better way to engage with Buddhism than engaging with the holidays? Do you have any questions about holidays in Buddhism? I'd like to hear from you. You can send me a message from my website or on social media. If you're interested in a Buddhist calendar, please go to my website and you'll find a link that takes you to my Buddhist graphics and resources super pack, which includes a Buddhist calendar. Thank you, and I'll talk with you in our next episode.